This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, October 13th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Never let it be said that local officials are necessarily less tyrannical than their state or federal counterparts. In Ohio, a case of one couple's incompatible landscaping could end up costing them literally millions of dollars in fines. Maurice Thompson directs the 1851 Center for Constitutional Law. He's taking the case. We discussed the fight last month. Thanks in part to Tyson Timms, the Supreme Court has come down uh, on the side of, yes, there are in fact uh, such things as excessive fines. And um, you are handling a case that involves this issue. It's almost much, much, much larger as an issue. So describe what, describe the case. It's hard to believe in some ways that new constitutional ground has yet to be broken and needs to be broken on one of the enumerated Bill of Rights. But the Eighth Amendment includes the excessive fines clause and doesn't say anything more. And like you say, we know that taking a small time drug dealer's expensive car is excessive. But that raises the question, what about these very ubiquitous and very common trivial code violations where they're enforced with anything from $100 a day fines to $1,000 a day fines? And that's just the case um, that we have, the 1851 Center has in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals now, where our client is being fined that amount for, quote unquote, incompatible landscaping. What does that mean? Good question. The term incompatible landscaping is not defined in the Columbus City Code. Instead, what happens is if the neighbors don't like your landscaping and they report you to this volunteer commission, they send you a notice of violation. And when you get that, they say your landscaping is incompatible and you need to appear before us and you need to prove to us that your landscaping is not incompatible and that it is in fact sufficiently compatible to be appropriate for a permit to landscape, Um, which never mind all of the issues over one's right to dominion over his or her own private property. Anybody listening to this already agrees with that. But the real challenge is that incompatibility is this vague and subjective standard. And not just that, but it's being applied by a commission of nearby private property owners with no training. They're just volunteers. They're doing this for free, but government authority to find their neighbors for incompatible landscaping has been outsourced by the city government to this commission that then subjectively talks about the color of the mulch, the amount of the mulch, the color of the trees, the slope of the yard, and all kinds of things like that. And then you have to prove to the commission that your landscaping is compatible. So a vague term, uh, compatible landscaping, it, that does, a term that is not in any way defined, and I would argue probably not easily definable without uh, a volume written on what's allowed, what's not allowed. Um, so who is in control of making the decisions about whether or not landscaping passes muster uh, in the city? It is purely in the hands of this volunteer citizen commission who, once the violation is issued, here's the case, 
reviews, photos, and they do they do use metrics. It's just that those metrics are also arbitrary. Like, well, is it compatible with the neighbor's landscaping? Is it compatible with landscaping all around the street? And they look at colors and they look at the types of plants you have and things like that. This is very different than policing for a nuisance where you're using your property to actively do harm to others' property. So what you end up with is using compatibility as a really poor proxy for seeking out a harmful nuisance and um, finding people in cases where there is no harmful nuisance whatsoever, just a disagreement over the beauty of one's yard, even where the yard is perhaps objectively more beautiful than nearby yards. So from the Tim's case, we learned that according to the Supreme Court, there is such a thing as excessive fines and fees. And in this particular case, you're talking about fines of up to a thousand dollars a day. Now, if somebody, if I were behaving in some way that as far as I knew was legal and somebody threatened me with fines of a thousand dollars a day, it's putting the onus on me essentially to make a very quick decision about whether or not I'm going to fold and comply with whatever the dictates are of this group that wants me to behave in a certain way or fight it knowing that every day I'm adding up to $1,000 a day to my bill if I lose. Our clients made the, you know, made their garden about three years ago. So you can do the math pretty quick on that one. Um, they're looking at fines potentially well over a million dollars, which is worth more than twice their property. And in fact, the value of the property, and in fact, the city of Columbus has filed an action to seize their property and have it foreclosed upon and sold um, to pay these massive fines. So we've got that proceeding in state court, even as we proceed on to the Sixth Circuit. But you're absolutely right. It's um, it's a lot of pressure on them. And, and particularly when we're operating in what's really the wild, wild west of constitutional law here. What the only thing the Supreme Court has really told us about whether a fine is excessive or not is whether it's quote unquote, grossly disproportionate to the gravity of the offense. And I think there's a lot of promise in this wide open wild west in that the gravity of the offense really should be measured by the harm to others. And I, I suppose it's helpful to hearken back to Lysander Spooner's old adage that there's no such thing as a victimless crime and that vices are not crimes. And maybe um, a disagreeable front yard is more of a vice than it is a crime or a nuisance. So looking at things through that lens, if there's no harm to others, and, and frequently local governments say, oh, well, it's just a harm to the general public without elaborating. And when you press them, name the people who are actually tangibly harmed by this landscaping, they're unable to do so. So what we're really working on here is chiseling away at this excessive fines clause standard and arguing that when there's basically no harm to others, the gravity of the offense is basically zero, meaning that the fine should be zero or as close to zero as possible. And anything beyond that is excessive. So it's sort of working back for a libertarian outcome, working backwards. Instead of saying, well, obviously government shouldn't be able to control your property on the front end and saying, well, let's move beyond that and say, even if they can, they can't do anything to you on the back end. 
because it would be grossly disproportionate under the Eighth Amendment to do so. And that's what we're hoping to accomplish in this case. But in general, th- this notion of daily fines, any, you know, $1,000 at all for incompatible landscaping may be excessive in, in most people's view, but $1,000 a day seems to strike at, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's almost as if they do not want you to exert any kind of uh, legal options to remedy that. I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a threat. It's a credible threat. And well, what does that mean? Yeah, it's almost like the death penalty. It's almost like saying, if your landscaping is incompatible, we're going to cut your head off tomorrow. You know, it's so severe that it encourages compliance in many cases. And then the government gets to argue, oh, well, look, everybody else complies. So why is this ornery guy the only one who's non-compliant with, as though that sophistry matters? But of course, it's the compulsion that they've created. And with that said, Caleb, you would be just perhaps surprised or shocked how common these high daily fines are. Almost every small town, much less major city in America, has $100 a day fines, $500 a day fines, $1,000 a day fines, and all for things like peeling paint or uh, a lawn that's perhaps over six or eight inches tall, really minor, easily remediable things. So um, it's time for us to address these sorts of issues, and that's what we're trying to do. Before we started recording, you said the Sixth Circuit will give you an interesting opinion no matter what. Um, What do you hope they do? What do you expect that they'll do? So we've given the Sixth Circuit maybe four decision points where they could rule in our favor. They could say this standard is so vague that it's unenforceable and we're going to stop there. They could continue on and say this standard is so vague and it may be okay if applied by government, but because it's being a outsourced to purely private untrained actors, it it violates the private non-delegation doctrine that harkens back to some 1920s Supreme Court precedents that are still good law, even though not many people know about them. And it could then go on and say, even if this vague standard is okay, even if outsourcing it is okay, turning the burden of proof onto the homeowner to prove that the lawn is in fact, compatible violates due process because it's not a fair hearing. It's impossible to prove. And for example, the Supreme Court has said before that having to prove that you're not a a communist in order to get some sort of a tax break um, is something that violates due process because how do you prove such a negative, such an amorphous negative? And, And then of course, even if the, even if the Sixth Circuit rules against us on all those three issues, then it has to get to the excessive fines issue. It says, look, even if all of that stuff is okay, are we willing to fine somebody $1,000 a day for this incompatible lawn? Maurice Thompson directs the 1851 Center for Constitutional Law in Ohio. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 